So we're constantly trying to work on progress. I think that's a big thing is, is progress over perfection and constantly trying to work out what might be the focus for this certain period of time. Welcome to the Approachable Equestrian Podcast, a place where we dive deep into all things mindset, motivation and stories that inspire. I am your host, Rihanna Burke, fellow equestrian, writer and competitor, and I am determined to shine a light on all things inclusive in the equestrian community. With that said, let's jump in to today's episode. Welcome everyone to episode 33 of the Approachable Equestrian Podcast. I am Rihanna and I'm very excited to have you all here. Today I got to speak with the most amazing guest and this guest seriously has some amazing information for you all and it's definitely something that could help you on your riding journey. So get excited because today I got to speak with the eventing physiologist, Natasha, who is an accredited exercise physiologist. She focuses on rider biomechanics and fitness And honestly, she is an eventer herself and just has a passion for horses. And also most importantly, she has a passion for riders. So get ready to feel inspired and also encouraged along your journey. This woman is just amazing and she has so much information that she puts out there in today's episode. So please help me welcome the amazing Natasha Gunston who runs The Eventing Physiologist. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's very exciting. That's okay. My pleasure. I'm really excited to get to know you and how you got into what you are doing now. And yeah, I can't wait for everybody to hear sort of what you do and how you decided to get into it. So if you could, would you be willing to tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to have a life with horses? So it all started. So my mom's always been fairly horsey, right when she was early and she did the whole went to the cousin's farm and and did all the riding things from there and just got the horse bug early on. And that was instilled into me right from an early age and there's photos of me getting thrown up on the back of her big horse sitting there at the bub and all those lovely things but um I had to work pretty hard to let her know that I did catch the horse bug as well so she really wanted me to show her that I was really willing and willing to put the effort in and actually did enjoy it. So she had her lovely horses and a big warm blood that she was riding for a fair while there. And we were adjusting at the time and I was obsessed and I would clean stables for her at like t- uh, five years old and, and I'd be running around the paddock, picking up all the sticks, making sure, and I'd try to rug him. He, he was huge, but... Um, that, that would work as a five-year-old big horse, yep. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he was just such a gentle giant. And it was one day she was chatting to to Jeannie, the lady that we adjusted at, and she was wasting her time, precious time that she needed to be working her horse. And I was like, come on, mum. And so I went into the paddock. He put his head down. I put the halter on and I took him around to the tack-up area. I started tacking him up for her and I'd put the, the step next to him and I'd throw the saddle on. I don't know whether I actually put the saddle on properly or the bridle on correctly or anything like that, but you know, I'd read it in the books and I knew what I was doing. And uh, then I led him around to mum and I said, here's your horse. And she went, oh, oh my gosh. And and Jeannie started laughing at my mum and said, well, uh, okay, I think you really need to get her a, a pony. And so she went down to the arena and then it was made worse by the fact that I then started tacking up the fence post. 
so I could ride the fence post while mum was riding the, uh, the horse. <laughs> so I'd put the saddle cloth on and I'd put the saddle on and I'd put, I'd put a bridle on the fence post and I would pretend to ride my horse while mum was riding as well. So our friends definitely said that, come on, Kate, you really need to step up. I think she's shown you that she wants a pony. Yeah. <laughs> and so she did what every mother would do and she got me a Shetland pony. Oh, yes. And <laughs> he was, his name was Frankie and he was nicknamed Frankly Dreadful because he was just quite <laughs> frankly the most naughtiest pony ever. And yeah. I would fall off him every single time I rode. He'd run me through fences and oh, he'd no. just drop his shoulder and pig root. And yeah, it was awful. Bye. Like that. <laughs> yeah, see ya. Um, I think I fell off about six times and the last time he dumped me right at mum's feet and she went, oh, okay. She swung her leg over and gave him a kick and and he took off around the arena on her and she couldn't stop him. And so she went around for about five or six laps, cantering around going, oh, my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to stop this pony. And then I got on him and he was a little angel for that that five minutes because he was probably I don't want her again. I don't want her again. exactly. He was so naughty and all those sorts of things. And for whatever reason, mum thought, oh, you know, naughty pony, let's go to the local show. And so we packed all our stuff. We went to the local show for my first ever show. She was probably thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. He's probably going to cart her across the, the, the field. Anyway, and he turned it on. He went, I'm going to be the most perfect little pony. And he would trot around the arena. And we, I think we won almost every class we went in, probably wow. the cutest factor. Because when he was cute, he was really cute. And from then I went, okay, this is what I want to do. And I just got, got more and more into it. And that sort of developed and I outgrew him and maybe his, his frankliness. I probably outgrew more so than anything. <laughs> and went on to the good old little Welsh mountain white, white pony that every girl gets. And yes. Um, and that was sort of around the time of the 96, 2000 Olympics where eventing was starting to, well, we just won our second team gold and then our third team gold. And I was like, okay, I really like this. I'm pretty obsessed with that. And I'd watch all the recordings mum would have of badminton on a VHS. And I just got obsessed with eventing from that. And show and tell they said oh you know at school they'd be like bring in your favorite um movie and so I'd always bring in my badminton videos and make my class sit there and watch badminton and like, on VHS oh God, here we go again the crazy horse <laughs> <Exactly>. girl <laughs> the crazy horse girl yeah and I just I everything was revolved around eventing from then and from about 10 on onwards I didn't want to do any other discipline at pony club I wanted to do my dressage my cross country my jumping and even from there I went okay everything was planned out so I've got to do this amount of dressage training this amount of sort of cross-country fitness training this amount of jumping right from an early age and I was very regimented with that I don't know if it's a bit too much but yeah and then sort of flowed on into what then was another great mothering moment and I love I love my mum so don't get me wrong this is definitely just a bit of a a fun little jab at her before you keep before you keep going, can I please try to guess the next progression? Was it the off-the-track thoroughbred? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've literally, it's almost like you have the perfect standard, like you're right on that median line of, and I got the Shetland to the Welsh to the crazy off-the-track thoroughbred. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a Jim Carter pony thrown in there as well that I then turned into an eventer. So yep. that was thrown in there as well. But, yeah, yeah. So then we went. So mum decided that, yep, yeah, off the track thoroughbred, she really wants to be an eventer, so let's do that. 
at 13. I think I was almost 14. Yeah. And so we went and tried this big bay thing and he had these huge knees and these gigantic ears. And the day that I went to try and it was pouring with rain, windy, and he just did not put a foot wrong. And he was such a big camel. No offense to him. I love him. <laughs> but he, he was just this, and I fell in love. And we drove home and I said, Oh, we've got to get him. Like, I've, I, I love him so much. And, <laughs> and mum's like, Okay. So we went back and we thought he was three, rising four. And so we went back to get him. And he was on the float. We were driving down the road and we opened up his papers and we realized that he was two, rising three. Oh, wow. And <laughs> we were like, oh, okay, so that makes sense that his knees are so open and, you know, he's still so gangly and all those sorts of things. So that was a very long process. So that was when I got Bruce, my off-the-track thoroughbred. Oh, my gosh, stop it. Then- his name was Bruce. <laughs> oh, I love Bruce. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's my, he's still my baby. He's now retired in the paddock at mum and dad's, but he was my first real taste of putting the work in and having to be persistent, definitely, because it was a rocky, rocky road and a very long process. And we were able to then get up to two-star eventing um, and I oh, wow. trained him up to medium, medium-level dressage and we we competed down in New South Wales a couple of times and around southeast Queensland, obviously, and he was just great. And if I go back now knowing all the things that he gratefully taught me, I'm sure it would be completely different. But I don't know whether it would be completely different in a good way or a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> because it was just the, the flow on from there. So he definitely taught me perseverance and that not every way works and not every way works exactly the same every day. So yeah. you wake up and you have to probably change your tactics and be a little bit cunning. Yes. He was very horse shy. So Warm up was always extremely fun and and all those sorts of things. So you'd, a lot of times you'd find me warming up in the like the floating area, and I'd try to just circle in and around some other people before I went into my dressage test, and and just hope and pray that he would stay in the arena and, and be alive at the end of it. But yeah, he he was extremely talented and a great influence in my riding career. That's for sure. Oh, what a legend. It's amazing how much the horses can teach you. And when other people's parents ask me like, oh, you know, my daughter sort of likes horses. Should I get into it? I'm like, look, financially, no, don't do it to yourself. (laughs) But in terms of like your child growing up and learning so many skills that have nothing to do with horses, like you were saying, like tenacity and passion and, you know, perseverance and all those traits that when I have kids, like I pray that they have those sort of traits and they learn those sort of things. Like horses are just amazing. So what else have you done since Bruce? You're you're right. It teaches you all sorts of different traits and things like that. And so mum and dad, they worked shift work. So they were in air traffic control and things like that um, our our whole childhood. And we had just stood around the corner. And so I would get onto my bike in the afternoon. I'd, I'd ride up the, the hill around to the adjustment property. And I think it was, I was listening to one of your podcasts a few weeks ago about you conning people into doing things and being really tenacious. So <laughs> I <laughs> I conned my bus driver, my school bus driver, that he now needed to not drop me off at my house, that he had to suddenly now add a little extra route to his bus trip and drop me off at the adjustment property. So I'd pack all my horse clothes in my school bag and then I conned him that he'd have to drop me off there every afternoon now and all those sorts of things. So it definitely teaches you a way to 
ways to communicate with people and and it's definitely something right early on that even Pony Club taught you to communicate with kids from a really young age to mature people quite a lot older than you and and have different communication methods and things like that. So I think there's a lot of life skills that riding definitely teaches you. So, yeah. Yeah. What a legend bus driver. Oh, my gosh. I wish I had one of those in my life. (laughs) Yeah. I still, I still remember him. Like that was oh, so under twenty years ago. So I still remember him. He had his knee high socks, and his name was John. So yeah. Oh, what a legend! Go John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what a legend. Yeah. So now I have a lovely sassy Hanoverian mare. Um, she's oh yeah. So talented. you've then done the other progression from the <laughs> yeah. off the track to now you got your warm blood. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. So it's pretty much like a book, isn't it? <laughs> Textbook. And she. <laughs> Yeah, I think thankfully because of Bruce, I have grown some sort of thick skin <laughs> and and she is even more bipolar than him and her it multiple is a mare. personality. It is and a mare. That's exactly right. I and love mares, but they definitely are more sassy. <laughs> so much more sassy. And she's she's got many different nicknames and Grumbles is one of them. Mum and I joke all the time and just <laughs> walk into a stable and go, oh, hello, Grumbles, what what personality are you in today and um she's she's beautiful and and very talented but we're just taking our time with her and just low level eventing at the moment if we ever get back eventing who knows oh it's (laughs) been the weather at the moment (laughs) yeah first COVID Uh, now flooding it's great yeah exactly exactly so that's sort of where I'm at with my riding I've had a few other little horses that I've leased in between there one very important one as well which I think we'll touch on a bit later about Sammy and he was a beautiful part of my life for a very short period but he definitely had a big factor in my life with yeah eventing and and sort of coming out of that and and into the future so yeah. yeah so for everybody listening at home can you tell us a little bit about what you do and why we got you on the podcast in the first place because this is a topic that I really want to touch on I mean even my last guest episode with Yushan, the Hong Kong rider who's now based in the UK, he even brought it up about one of his really close friends was so big on strength and conditioning and he's his strength and conditioning coach. So it's very fitting that we have you on because a big role in your work is also strength and conditioning. So please yes. tell us about your work. What is a physiologist? Okay. So my business is called The Eventing Physiologist. Yes. So I am a clinical exercise physiologist. Alongside that, I'm also an exercise scientist and sports scientist. Wow. Um, and I graduated back in 2014 from QT in Brizzy. And from there, I've sort of done a little bit of postgraduate online and different studies into rider biomechanics and rider fitness, I've done Pilates training, and then looking more into specialized strength and conditioning for equestrian athletes. So quite often people go, oh my gosh, strength and conditioning, that sounds super crazy. I feel like I'm going to be lifting weights and things like that. But that's going to become a bodybuilder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's not always the case in regards to its demand or what your your body needs. And we look at what our body is required to do with with riding specifically and the demands that each different discipline has on the body. And then being able to work out what then your body specifically needs from that. So you might be extremely cardiovascularly fit, but your body needs to be much more flexible. And we, we start to then look at the demand of the riding that you're doing specifically and where you need to be improving for not only performance outcomes, but injury management or injury prevention as well. So that's really when you look at strength and conditioning, that's 
what it definition is, is specific sports-specific conditioning as well as injury prevention and injury management. So people often will put it down the path of lifting heavy weights and think they get bulky, but actually that's not really it. And and that's why sports-specific or equestrian-specific conditioning is really, really vital in order to improve our long, longevity in this sport as well. We're so lucky that equestrian athletes can be competing at the Olympics at age 64, I think Andrew Hoy was. Yeah. Um, don't quote me on that. I might have just overestimated his age. And oh. <laughs> um, But, you know, that's the best thing about our sport. We can be competing for so long throughout it that we need to make sure that we can function it at our full potential and then accommodate for injuries and things that come with it. Unfortunately, it is a risky sport, but not only just the riding factor and falls risk, but also just the modalities that we have to do day in, day out, things like that that can can cause repetitive strain injuries and all sorts of different things. So Yeah. I know so many riders who say, oh, you know, I had a lower back issue or I've had these problems and they constantly come around. So obviously the riding alone isn't providing all the exercise that they need. Is that the majority of the reason why people come to you in the first place? So one of my main areas of focus is rider biomechanics specifically and looking what where you're positioned and what you're doing in the saddle and trying to then work out how we can help you function a little bit better in the saddle because that that in itself can have both positive and negative effects on the body. So if we're sitting in a slightly different position through our pelvis and that can then increase load through our back, that can increase our strain on, on the lower back and then end up causing back pain just by yeah. the fact of all the way that you're sitting in the saddle. So trying to help correct that as best as possible can can alleviate some symptoms. But then also asymmetries, unfortunately, we are, it's, it's a bilateral sport that we're doing and we're using both sides of our body. We're doing things independently on both sides, but there are asymmetries in everybody. We, we just look at the fact that most of us are right-handed, some of us are left-handed. We're going to have dominant sides and that flows into to riding as well. Yes, it's bilateral, but when you sit in the saddle and you have one side that's more dominant than the other, that's going to start to create these patterns of asymmetries that are then going to be just progress along again and again and again, especially those that maybe ride multiple horses, but even those that don't ride multiple horses in a day, you're still working on those um, that motor unit recruitment in that certain way that then isn't getting corrected because those muscles are being underutilised or they're really tight in opposing areas. So yeah. it's quite important to then to look at that and go, okay, so why is this happening? Because, again, whether you're the the happy hacker, the recreational rider, the amateur or the elite professional, you you still are trying to outweigh those those asymmetries. But then if you're you're sitting at a desk job all day and you're getting tight in certain areas and you're say on average working eight hours a day and then you go to the, the, the horses in the afternoon, you go to ride for about 45 minutes an hour and you're in an isometrical position or what you think is an isometrical position and you're trying to outweigh the eight hours of poor postural habits you've done throughout the day, it's not going to be an even ratio. You go eight hours to one hour, that that's never going to equal it out. So then it's trying to then work on where you know you might be weak, where you know you might be tight, and then creating a little bit more of a balance and a symmetry in the body 
and then targeting those areas that need to be worked on. And we see it all the time with different collapses or, or compressions through the body on one side because that side just cannot cope with the demand. And it's something that we can, can continually work on that you might fix one certain area, but another area might pop up and, um, and you just not constantly searching, but you are looking at, at where we can continue to improve. And as we know with riding, we're never going to reach perfection or we know that with life in general. So we're constantly trying to work on progress. I think that's a big thing is, is progress over perfection and constantly trying to work out what might be the focus for this certain period of time. Yeah, that's so true. So, well, I can see why you would have gotten into this line of work because it does, you see it all the time with so many riders. And I mean, I remember I've had a horse that was really weak on one side, but it was also my weak side. So then we ended up just going so amazing one direction. As soon as we'd go the other way, everything would just fall apart. So do you see that quite a lot? Is it, you know, what are some common things that people can do to help themselves? Yeah, so we see it quite often. So if you think about even like just if you're carrying a, one of my favourite analogies is you're pushing a wheelbarrow across the paddock and if you have it slightly stacked up on one side more than the other, and you, you're pushing across the paddock and you feel, say, your your left arm is so much more dominant and, and fatigued by the time you get to the other end than the other side. And over time, that's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And you'll start building up your right side more than your left. And the same thing happens with the horse. So what can what can happen and why, why it's so important is that, you know, we can start to have biomechanical changes on the horse because of our influence on, on our body. And then that can have changes to their gait, that can have changes to their pelvic position and then overall loss of performance. So it's more than just, so rider biomechanics is more than just trying to perfect your riding position and posture. It's actually about the performance outcome. It's about the horse's biomechanics as well, uh, making sure you've got a correct saddle that's fitting fitting well to you and the horse, making sure that the horse is biomechanically going going well and working with any of the allied health professionals for the, the equine factor and then looking at yourself as well. So like a lot of the time our, our courses are habitual um, and then over time it just becomes so much more normal. But the best place for people to start, obviously, like I said, saddle, saddle fit's really important and making sure the horse is, is checked out is really important. But then having a look at your own gear, so things like your gloves, your boots, your wear marks on the saddle, they can be really indicative of areas of increased tightness and tension and locking or increased um, movement, which is creating more friction, which is then creating more rub marks on, on your certain gear. And then also even just taking photos and videos and utilising that for a, a bit of feedback, not looking at how pretty everything is going, actually then delving into it and going, okay, what, what am I doing with my body? How can, I, how can I position myself better? Would that then influence the horse? So a couple of things that I like to make people do is take a photo on the side and take a photo from behind and then you can look at different landmarks on, on the body. So the good old shoulder, hip, heel alignment, that matters a lot. But then it's also what's going on between the shoulder, hip, heel alignment. If you're really excessively arched through your back, but still have quite a nice shoulder, hip, heel alignment, you're still going to be loading up the spine and into that lordotic position. Or vice versa, you might have this shoulder, hip, heel alignment, but your knees are gripping on quite a lot. And that's overactivating, pushing you out of the saddle and you're not actually connecting in and getting a deeper connection. So being able to utilize that is really important. Then from behind, you can start to see 
differences in your shoulder height, your pelvic height, and where your pelvis is positioned in the saddle. So whether it's shifted to one side or dropped slightly, that can have a big influence on our overall positioning and connection. And then stirrup level as well. There's some good areas to start with. And then it's really important that when you're doing any progression photos where you look at where you started and then you look where you progress to is having them in, in the same phase of movement. So if you're looking at still shots, having the, the trot in the same phase of the trot pattern from the first photo to the second photo so that you can see the exact movement pattern because obviously throughout the gait of a horse it changes from walk, trot, canter and in, in the different paces it will change where you're positioned in the saddle as well. So you might look a lot more symmetrical in the walk because it's a lot lower impact on the body and a lot lower impulsion up and down. But then you look at yourself in trot and you feel like you're all over the place and that's because it's a completely different movement pattern that your body's happy to absorb too. So yeah. um, that's a key thing as well. And then I just like people to start to listen and feel your own body. Like you you know your body better than, than anybody else and start to listen to where you might constantly feel tired to where you might actually get pain or when you hop off, you get aching in that area for a day after riding or a couple of hours after riding and then go, okay, well, I know that that's chronically always tight or chronically always sore. How do I help that? And that's where going to get specialist help or going to see a physio or an exercise physiologist or someone that specializes in rider biomechanics specifically would be really helpful. And then the other thing is sometimes, especially if you're not doing any think generally as exercise off the horse even just getting out and doing a few things and exercising and just starting exercise can be a big benefit it doesn't have to be rider specific it doesn't have to be specific to your asymmetry sometimes just getting out and then feeling the benefits of exercise and and what that that can bring to you can have such flow on effect so we think about exercise as a medication in regards to how it would actually make you feel better so even just your range of motion your joint pain joint stiffness you start to feel better you're aching less you have more energy to facilitate more jobs throughout the day or just feel better and not so exhausted at the end of the day you have better awareness of what your body's doing so that proprioceptive response so you know where you are and how to synchronize better muscle stimulation and then also like the big influence it has on mental health and anxiety levels and things like that. So we, we have this natural response from exercise to help with um, improve our, our hormonal levels and start to regulate our mental health a little bit better naturally, which is so important as well. So, yeah, yeah. I definitely can relate to that because I remember a few years back before I ever started doing more exercise outside the horses, I would always feel like I just... I think fear would set in because I felt like I had no control over what I was doing in the first place. And then once I got fitter and stronger, I was like, it actually really helped my mindset because I was like, oh, actually, you know, if if I get different things thrown at me, I am more equipped to deal with them now because I had that feeling in myself of like, oh, I can I can look after myself. I can actually do the movements. I can control the separate parts of my body to keep myself safe or keep myself moving forward. And things like that. But so just two questions. Firstly, for anyone listening and that doesn't know, and also myself, I'm a little bit oblivious as well, but what would be the difference between going to see a physio and going to see an exercise physiologist? So exercise physiology, we specialise in exercise prescription and using that for management of our body, our function, biomechanical function, 
and chronic conditions. And then the physiotherapy side of things, they will use a little bit more hands-on therapy. They still do exercise prescription and all those sorts of things, but we just delve a little bit differently from those two where the physio will have a little bit more hands-on and work on acute processes where we come into a little bit more chronic management and go, okay, so this is what's developed over time or this might be what your condition is, your injury is, and this is how we're going to appropriately manage and and work on a long-term benefit and, and then work on how you can help it yourself as well. So rather than just hands-on treatment and then going, okay, we're going to instill the tools in you to be able to then take this on board and further yeah. promote that yourself as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then my second question is some of the exercises that you would recommend for horse riders specifically, what are some of the better ones for people? So say if they are in the boat of, I haven't started exercising, I know I need to, I should probably get my butt into gear. What do you recommend? What's a great starting point for horse riders? Is it just walking every day? Is it, you know, yoga, Pilates, gym, weights? You yeah. know, what's what's better? Walking is great. Walking is really, really important for just general function and, and cardiovascular response and, and mental health as well. So walking I definitely would recommend. But um, And Pilates and yoga, it's all specific to what you enjoy as well. I think I'm a big instigator on going, just because I say Pilates doesn't mean that that person is going to enjoy that. Or just because I say strength training, that person is probably much more of a yoga enthusiast. So it's trying to fit around what, what you like and what you enjoy. So saying that for a little bit more specific approach, I think if we can start to focus on our pelvis and our pelvic mobility and our hips, that's a great place to start. So even just being able to be aware of where your pelvis is positioned. So favorite thing is being able to create pelvic dissociation, as I call it. So being able to mobilize the pelvis from the rest of the body independently so that you're able to mobilize and move without the upper body moving and compensating, without the lower body moving and compensating and gripping. So being able to create that mobility. So simply just sitting in your chair and you imagine that your pelvis is a bucket of water and what you want to be able to do is tip the bucket of water forward and we go into an anterior pelvic tilt, but you don't want to then bring your shoulders forward and lean forward. Keep your shoulders over your hips and then you tip the bucket back and roll the pelvis backwards underneath you. And then again, without moving your shoulders back or forward and trying to create that little bit of pelvic control to start with is always a good place to start to then go, oh, actually I'm feeling a little bit tight. And then you start to do it a little bit laterally. So then again, Make sure that your shoulders are nice and level. Try to sink your weight into your left seat bone and then try to sink your weight into your right seat bone. And then you realize, oh, I drop and I'm locked or I'm stuck. And that's always a good place to start with just general mobility that anyone can do, whether they've got any conditions, whether they are chair bound, whether they're time bound. You can do that while you're sitting at work. Like driving, yes, but probably also concentrate on driving on the road like that. <laughs> good good advice, yeah. Foremost. Yeah, a little bit of disclaimer there. Uh, Every, everybody listening is currently um, sitting up a bit straighter and going, <laughs> oh, can I do this? And then, you know, but it's yeah. true because imagine trying to do, like I can completely understand, like if I'm sitting here on a chair and I can't do it without moving my upper body, how am I going to do it on yep. a moving horse? So exactly. Okay, it's funny making yeah. us think about it in that way. And you you be surprised and and you go, "Oh, like I can do it with my right side. My right side's great." And then all of a sudden you go, "I can't feel my left side. I can't, I can't 
even get that brain signal to that area. <laughs> and that, that's that awareness, that, that proprioceptive response, knowing where that part of your body is in space and then being able to send that signal back. Yeah. And touch is a really good part of that. So if you, you get into that position of your body and just a little light tap or a little bit of sensation, that helps stimulate it a little bit more. I don't mean go around slapping yourself in that area or anything like that, but just like lightly stimulate that area and go, okay, hopefully. Wakey, wakey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Increase yeah. that stimulus to help with it. So that's always a good, that's really basic and a good place to start. And I say basic, but it's pretty, pretty damn hard. As you just found there, you're like, hold on, I can't do that without my whole upper body moving with it. So <laughs> And then um, I realized when you said, you know, keep your shoulders up straight, one shoulder, I was like, ooh, <laughs> a couple of yeah. I better move my shoulder up. But it's funny as well, yeah. though, because it it must be something in our brain as well that stops us from being able to do it. And you've got to create those pathways to actually do it. So I get the stimulating thing and like the touch feeling and things like that on the side that isn't as quite aware because yeah. I, it was funny, I heard it the other day and I have tried ever since and I cannot do this for the life of me. But you know, when you cluck to your horse and you click like that, you do it on one side of your mouth without thinking. I actually cannot physically do it on the other side of my mouth. I've tried and I've tried. And, but, and I guess on some sort of level, it is very similar because it's your brain going, I like this side, this side. I just don't even, it doesn't exist. It's not there. Well, (laughs) our brain will prioritize things. So it's our brain's number one job is to keep us alive. And then anything from there underneath is then prioritized quite. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's a bonus. So that's why we sometimes will do things that maybe aren't the most, probably as we rationally think them, the most smartest thing, but that's the body just going, well, that's just to keep us alive. That's the main thing. And it will prioritize breathing in the heart and all those things before anything else. And then we go, okay, so then we've got to then start to stimulate areas and, and then it'll go, okay, so you're dominant through your right side. So we're going to have more motor control on that side because that's the side you use more. And then it's not that it doesn't recruit the other side. It's just trying to stimulate which areas are the number one priority and where to, to expand all its energy. So yeah. it's quite a smart organism but we just need to be a little bit more aware of both sides of our body yeah it's funny i um i even read a book recently on sleep and the guy that wrote it he's actually a sleep coach for some of the major soccer teams over in the uk and things like that and even he said you know for evolution's sake and for keeping your brain trying to keep your body safe you actually without thinking about it your most comfortable sleep will always be on your weak side so if something was to come and attack you, your strong side is ready to go. And it's funny because I thought about it and I'm like, yes, I do. I always sleep on my left side, which is my weaker side. Yeah. It's little things like that, which, you know, and even putting your socks on or your pants on, you'll put one yeah. pant leg in front of the other without even consciously thinking of it. So yeah, it's, it's um, like going upstairs. You'll you'll go up with your say like met myself on the right and so I got my right my right leg first and yeah. little things like that. And and I had a client it was, it was a little while ago and and she was getting up and down a step all day at work and she was she said to me, why? And I said you've got like quite a big difference through just even your thigh muscles. Like, what's going on? And we started to delve into a little bit more and she said, oh, I get up and down a step every day at work. I said, oh, do you just use your right leg? And she goes, I never really thought about it. And she went to work the next day. She, she, she totally washed does. herself. And she was like, oh, my gosh. And I said, just every now and then just try to think left leg more, left leg more. And I think it was about a month after that I saw it and it was completely different. 
her, wow. her the small things discrepancy. Yeah, and that was just one little thing that she changed in her day, uh, and she was just that was like quite a big influence on your body. And, and again, you think about it, you go for eight hours, five times a week. That's a long time to be doing something a little bit more on one side than the other, and repetitive. And yeah, and like you, with the book that you were just reading about sleep, if you think about, hopefully, on average, we should be sleeping seven to eight hours a night. That's yeah, crazy. I'm lying on the same but, side. But also just positions that you sleep in while, you know how quite often I'll get someone, oh, I slept really crooked last night. And it's because they were in an awkward position for a couple hours at a time and, and their yeah. body then will spasm up and cramp up. And and if you're not getting sleep that's that's helping to rest and restore every night and that just then puts you into a negative and then the next day you're then depleting that that energy source again and then depleting that energy source again and then every night you're then adopting that same sleeping position it's just going to then get into this downward spiral and so looking at sleep is really important and and being able to go okay let's let's have a look at what I do at, at night are my pillows comfortable? Is my bed comfortable enough? Am I having good sleep hygiene before bed? Am I having good sleep hygiene as I get up? Like, am I getting straight up out of bed or am I sitting on my phone for a little while? And am all I those snoozing? Yeah. Am I snoozing? That's a really big one for me. Yes. It absolutely sends my partner nuts. <laughs> no, see, I was the world's biggest snoozer. Honestly, I used to set at least eight alarms. And after reading that book, they were like, do not snooze your alarm. It is the worst thing you can possibly do for you. It'll put you on the back foot for the day. And ever since I've, we've got the, um, the bathroom like right next to the, like our ensuite. So what I do is I just leave the door cracked open just a little bit and I put my phone on charge in there. And it's really hard because I'm like, I just want to sit on my phone in bed at night, like scrolling, cause yeah. I, which doesn't help you get to sleep either. But you know, it's, it's no. a little, a little you know daily pleasure that you just want to enjoy and just sit there and zone out a bit but anyway so I started popping it in there and when my alarm goes off it's it sounds you know pretty typical but you have to get up and you have to go get your phone and then while I'm in there I've got a little routine in the morning to brush my teeth splash my face with water and yeah so but getting up it's helped me stop snoozing so that might help you as well <laughs> absolutely and yeah just creating those healthy habits and things and the other thing that would just help is if then you phone away from you so then anyone that's messaging you or, or you don't get that you in your mind inquiries, yeah yep. you haven't got that in your mind so you can go to sleep at night and then you wake up and then once you're ready to then look at any inquiries and things like that and questions then you can you can delve in and start the day rather than starting the day at one o'clock in the morning when you've just suddenly woken up and you've rolled over and you realize that you've got your phone's lit up yep <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah okay. definitely oh, not healthy <laughs> yeah let's just take a quick moment to thank our sponsors are you looking for high quality equestrian products to add to you and your pony's wardrobe penelope store australia is the official australian distributor of luxury french equestrian brand Penelope Leprevo Collections, designed for every moment of the equestrian lifestyle, both in and out of the show ring. Developed and designed by French Olympic gold medalist show jumper Penelope Leprevo, they specialize in creating European equestrian products for both horse and rider using innovative design and modern materials, including their iconic wet weather waterproof winter Ugg boots. 
They also stock a large range of saddle pads, along with competition and casual gear for riders. Get for the 2022 competition season 20% off your first online order now with the exclusive code PODCAST20 at the checkout. Shop online now at www.penelope-store.com.au. So when you got into working as a physiologist and then moving more into the rider biomechanic side of things and things like that, um, you said to me that you ended up almost having two full-time jobs all at once. So what happened there? You started in one thing and what did that look like? So I I graduated back in 2014 and I went into um, I started up cardiac, uh, cardiac rehabilitation program. So I initially sort of had a special interest in cardiac rehab and exercise therapy post heart attack, bypass surgery, stents, all those sorts of things wow. and working with clients to start to rehabilitate post cardiac event. And that sort of delved in and I, I started that up at, with the local business and had great support there from the, the boss of that company. And that was going really well. And then I had a little job change, worked for another company and did a lot more Pilates-based, musculoskeletal-based exercise prescription there. That was great. And then as any typical Aussie does, they bump into, I bumped into my previous boss <laughs> at a pub. <laughs> and as, she as said, you do. your old job back. Yeah, as you do. Do you want your old job back? And I said, you know what, actually, I'm looking for a bit of a change. So I started going back and working for Multiple Body Care back then. And um, we, Georgie and I still laugh at the fact that like, we did a, a job interview at the pub pretty much, which was just like, hey, Tash, do you want your job back? Yep, cool, done. See me on Monday. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> and I, from there, they have a bit of a sports development program that my friend Sonia had started up with, with Georgie. And they, they work on um, grassroots level athletes, from all different disciplines and working on building them up. So through that, I had a couple couple riders that I was working with through there. And then I had a couple of friends that would be seeing me specifically and I'd be helping them specifically with what's going on and knowing their injuries and their background and what their aims were with their riding. And so I, was, I just would even talk to my partner about it at nighttime and, and he'd be like, that's really cool. Like, is is there anyone really doing that at the moment? And I'm like, no, not really. And, and he was really supportive of it. And through the business at Morton Body Care, I also then met some good friends of mine now. His name's Josh Morgan Brown, and him and his wife Emily own uh, Cedric or Elsom, the biomechanics horse simulator. And through them, I was just talking to Josh and, and doing working with him through rehab and getting him back in the saddle and back jumping. And he said, "Mate, like this, you are missing like a big area. You like you are so." good at this and you, you understand the body and how it works and and it's so needed and it's, like, it's, it's exactly and and he went from not being able to to ride more than a couple minutes in the saddle without his, his back hurting to a being able to go back jumping and he was he went out and he went eventing and he was just loving it again and being able to be back functioning properly and it it sort of dawned on me a little bit and I was I was going through a bit of a rough patch mentally. So the start of that year, I still remember to this day getting the phone call from mum. I was at work and I just finished teaching a Pilates class and one of the receptionists came down and said, your mum's on the phone. She sounds absolutely distraught. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I looked at my phone, I had three missed calls. Aww. And I rang her back. She's like, you, you've got to get home. It's really bad. And I thought, oh, okay. And she said, it's, it's Sammy. Um, he was this beautiful horse that we had on lease from a good friend of ours, Katie. And I was venting him at one star and he was just 
he was just a dude. He helped me through a lot of different areas where I was at and and he was just the most magical, cheeky little thoroughbred you'd ever have. And any anybody needs a Sammy. Everybody needs a Sammy. Anyway. And she said, it's really bad. He's, he's broken his leg. And, oh, no. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So, And I was about 40 minutes away from, from mum's and it was the worst drive I've ever had in my life. I probably shouldn't have driven. I probably should have got someone from work to drive me, but I drove. <laughs> and I just remember getting there and it was just, it was awful not to get into details and things like that, but it was the most awful thing I've ever had to go through and see. And then the vet came and, and she said, there's, there's nothing we can do. Um, so we had to put him down. And honestly, that was just seeing that and, and anyone that's been through it, they know how heartbreaking it really is where you have to just see them take their last breath. And it's the worst thing about horses, that's for sure. And from then on, I didn't really know what I was doing and lost a lot of my love, not for horses, but in the horse area. And, and I was just a bit lost generally. So just putting my head down in the sand and getting on with work and keeping yourself um, busy, just, just trying to, to do things. And slowly, but surely I, I met people along the way and met people like Josh and, and they sort of went, yep, no, do that. And then he introduced me to his wife, Emily, and she introduced me to the horse simulator and my mind just went, oh my gosh. And the possibilities. Yeah, and I sort of just the ball kept rolling and then I'd, I'd sit at home every night and I'd research things and I'd look at, look at courses and I'd do all sorts of different things. And so for a good 12-month period, I was sort of really pushing it and thinking about it and clients that I'd see, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to try this with you. And and I had two two really special clients at the time. So um, Lily Ballard, she's a dressage rider up here and and Kira Nichols, who's now one of my sponsored riders. And I'd work with them and then a good friend of mine, Emma, and a dressage rider, Ivanka. And I'd have all those those ladies that were really, really into it to start with and, and happy to be sort of my guinea pigs and big influence and 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 build from there. And, and I went, oh, okay, this is amazing. Like, this is great. And just started this little side business. And I thought, okay. And my my boss Georgie was so supportive of it, and she's she's always been that way. And and she's like, this is great, Tash, brilliant, and and supportive along the way. And it started as a small business, but then suddenly everyone, this is great. I want to know more about it. I want to be involved more. And then I went, okay, I'll I'll get an ABN and I'll start a business. And this is the start of 2020, and started yeah. doing some classes. And then you know, as we all know, how 2020 went started business in the year of COVID. That's a great thing. But if anything, that definitely teaches you uh, perseverance and how to oh, yeah. adapt <laughs> and adapt to change and constantly being okay with adaption. Then suddenly I couldn't do anything in person. So I had to go online and that's sort of where I generated my online exercise classes from, do those via Zoom and starting to think from there. We had a few lockdowns and I was still working at Morton doing my exercise prescription exercise physiology and then trying to build this up. And then sort of when the, the lockdowns started to ease, I was able to go out a bit more and do my ride biomechanics assessments. And then that just generated. And so I'd be working all week, some afternoons. So all week during uh, full, full time for Morton, some afternoons I'd be seeing clients pick them, just filtered in. And then weekends would be full of me dra- driving to the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, at um, west to Gatton and, and Toowoomba and things like that. And I loved it all while still trying to ride my own horse. Yeah. All while still trying to be a fairly okay girlfriend, I'll say that. <laughs> He's still with me now, so I'm sure. It was you must okay. have done something right. And 
<laughs> and driving between my house, work, and 40 minutes out to the horses and, and just trying to, to fit it all in and balance it. And I've got great supportive friends and my, my parents are amazing, especially my mum and Kevin, my partner, is just the best and so supportive. So throughout that craziness, everything started generating and I was pretty much working what would be close to two full-time jobs at the same time. And wow. And my my boss was really supportive. She said, do you want to drop a day back? And and so I said, okay. She said, that'd be really good. And so I dropped a day back. But then like any busy person does, that they then just fill that with more work. Yeah. <laughs> and so that sort of started to to spiral. Facing myself is probably one of my not so great personalities or confidence issues is people around me like, you should do this full time. I was like, no, 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 I'll balance everything out. I've got to make sure that I have everything all. It's got to be perfect. Everything's, yeah, perfectionism. And I've, I've got to pay the bills and I've got to make sure I can afford to do this and I can live like this. And they're probably thinking around me going, you're running yourself into the ground. So, yeah, see, and- sometimes it's just better to be a C student. You know, you don't need to be the A plus <laughs> student, just get it done. Do it messy, work it out along the way. Yeah, and I just, I never really thought that I could do it full time. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of stress and and working for yourself and you're not guaranteed anything. So I went, oh, you know what? I just made the decision. I went, I've got to do it for my relationships, for my physical health, my mental health, and just my future. Yep. My writing life, exactly. So everyone around me went, yeah, this is awesome. I do it. And so I actually only went out full-time by myself last September, so September 2021. Congratulations. Thank you. And I have a look back. It's been absolutely amazing. And just looking back and and seeing where I've come from and even just such a short period of time and, and only starting the business properly in 2020 and the relationships and people I've met along the way and how I've been able to help people understand their bodies better and move better and not only just ride their horses and feel comfortable and and ride more symmetrically but also just function through life outside of their horses as well as yeah not waking up every morning with an aching back or a bad shoulder or yeah that's it. Like it's it's little things, and and I still remember even in my whole career, one of my favorite moments is not even horsey. So one of my beautiful clients, he had has a condition called spinocerebellar ataxia, which is it's a neurological condition. And it's very similar to Parkinson's. Oh, wow. And I remember I was working with him. This is right early on in my career as well. So not even recent, but still one of my favorite moments. And we were doing lots of coordinative exercises and. Um, balance and and utilizing his body throwing and catching and all sorts of things and he he had the the shakes like so he could barely hold knife and fork and and he came to me one day and he said tash you wouldn't believe what i've just been able to do i was like oh my gosh what and he said i was able to carry my tea from the fridge and from the kitchen all the way into the lounge room and i didn't spill it and how good is that that? (laughs) that to me was just one of the most amazing moments because and it was because of the things that I did I was helping him but he had the motivation to improve himself and something so simple that we all take for granted could make a big influence in his life and and he could just be able to have that little bit more independence where he didn't have to rely on somebody else or that's that's a small but huge win yeah and you just think about those sorts of things and I just yeah it's not always just about rider performance it's about everything else that you can help along the way. And like you said, just simply having someone wake up in the morning and not 
have a sore back or a sore shoulder, actually have someone wake up in the morning and go, yes, I'm ready to to start my day and I'm ready to just rock it and be able to to get on with life and, and function and have that improved health and wellness is, yeah. is so beneficial. Well see and- I love I love what you said earlier as well about like it is a holistic approach. Like not only does it physically help you and not only does it help with your writing and things like that, it it helps you mentally when your body is functioning better. So it's so important just helping your mindset because as you would probably know, listening to a few episodes here and there, like I love talking about mindset. And I mean, I partly feel like I do this podcast as well to heal myself, not because yeah. I'm, I'm, I've naturally always been a glass half full person, but you go through the waves. And I find that when I go to the lowest of lows, it is always when I go, oh, I haven't, you know, I sat on the couch today or I, and, and it is when I've done nothing with my body, when I haven't physically moved that's when I find that my hormones do go crazy. I do get really down and depressed and just, ugh, I can't be bothered. So I'm so glad that you brought that up, that it leads, one thing leads to the other. It really helps to move your body, even though it's a vicious cycle. And when you're in it, you're like, ugh, the last thing I want to do is move my body. And so- you know, but you which feel will- so much better after you've actually done it. Like even when in those those situations where your motivation is so low, and you actually go out and you do it, you go the the euphoria and that dopamine release afterwards. You go, wow, that that was really good. You feel so much better for achieving it, even though that you were so unmotivated. And and you go, that's really good. And it can start to then spark you into that a routine, increase motivation, yeah. and that routine. And we can be physically unfit, but we also can remember that we can be mentally and emotionally unfit as well. One of those those aren't in alignment. So you say we're not physically fit, probably our emotional and mental states are probably going to be a little bit up and down as well. But then also if we're physically fit, but then mentally or emotionally not 100% sound, that can have a big influence on us as well. Like you were saying, just being able to have that motivation to get up in the morning and, and find your purpose again and, and really start to, to generate that sort of self-intuition and, and self-motivation, I think that that's really important to work on just as much as physical fitness. Yeah, 100%. You're so bang on. It's not even funny. Okay. So <laughs> you said before that you had that huge setback, like speaking of your mental health and you know things going bad, I hope you don't mind talking about it, but when you have had setbacks and things like that, what did you do to get past them? I think the biggest thing was I had really supportive people around me. I think I've had some, I've been very lucky to have great friends, great family and, and a really supportive partner, even though he's not horsey at all. He has, he's always been there. Um, and my parents are absolutely fantastic. And if I can never be even a tenth of amazing, as amazing as they are, that would be fantastic. And my mum's a big instigator of the fact that I can balance my life and be able to do what I do because she if I can't get out to the horses, she's there and she's feeding them up. And and like this weekend, I've been flooded in at home and she's been out there with the horses and she's been sending me video updates of how they've been going and yeah. all those sorts of things. It's definitely the, the community that you have around you. And I know that's a big thing you like to promote as well, but I definitely think that was that was one thing that helped me out of that and trying to find your your next thing to look towards and, and trying to create go and take a look at, okay, so what is my purpose of, of being here and what am I trying to do and what am I trying to achieve and how can I help others? Yeah. I think my my job really helped me because you're you're working with people every day on, on trying to how to overcome whatever they might be going on with more times than not physically, 
with um, and and helping them through that way. But then also my exercise helped me a lot. So just generally strengthening. And I'm not a I'm not a massive runner. I'm about five foot two, and I don't have a very long stride. But I'm very consistent with my running. And I started doing a little bit more running, and that had a big influence. It wasn't so much that I was trying to run for my cardiovascular benefits, but actually just running for my mental health and how I'd feel after I came back from a run, whether it be a little three kilometer run or whether it be a 10 kilometer run. I just felt so much better. And those are sort of the things It probably wasn't one standout that helped me. It was probably a little bit of everything that just continued to add to putting one foot in front of the other and, and finding that way back on track and all while still being involved and, and surrounded by horses and, and having them there. And they always have this way of providing unconditional love, them and, and your dog. They just, while um, my man might put my hurt ears back at me, she still then softens her ears and then wants to have cuddles and all sorts yeah. of things. So <laughs> you go, yeah, her, her love might be a little bit more conditional, um, whether you've got a carrot in your hand or not. But um, Whereas most the puppy the dog. Time, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised he's not in here trying to be on my lap and needy. <laughs> yes. Mine are, um, locked, mine are locked away for that reason. <laughs> they're happily yeah. in the lounge room where they're, you know, up on their favorite spots. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's quite funny, actually, with a mare. I have a girl here who has her horse at home at mine. And even yesterday, her mare is so funny because she's so, as you were saying, like sometimes she's sassy. And I love it. She was all clean. And, you know, for those that don't know, in Australia, it has been on the East Coast, it has been so rainy lately and so muddy, you know, and she was all clean and her rug was white and she was fine. And the girl came to see her and I was down there hosing off mine and she'd been standing there quite happily the whole time. And the second she walked down the hill, she's like, oh, mum's here, better roll. But a cake myself in mud and I just couldn't stop laughing. I was like, I'm she literally was perfectly clean. And she's like, Oh, so mum's cool. here, better roll. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's the so cheeky like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an attention thing as well. <laughs> oh, 100 percent She's like, okay, come get me now. You're too slow. <laughs> yeah, so definitely I think you hit it hit the nail on the head with community and you know, just putting one foot in front of the other. And I think even for me, like when I've gone through really flat moments and just lack of motivation, all that sort of stuff, I try to say to myself, like, what's one thing that I can do? And also one thing that I want to do, or I know that's going to make me feel better. So it might be, okay, well, I'll get up and I'll have my morning coffee because my morning coffee just, you know, it's my morning coffee. I love it. It makes me happy. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, that will get me out of bed. And then after my morning coffee, I'm like, okay, well, what will then make me feel better again? Like maybe, you know, it might even just be putting music, happy music on in the house and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, no, I definitely think that that's really accurate. So that's sort of controlling what what you can control, having a look at, okay, can I control that situation? No. Okay, well, as bad as it sounds, put that away or put that to the side and then focus on some things around you that you can control and, and work towards those and strive towards that. That That's really important to be able to put your time and energy into things that you, you have control over and, and not getting so fixated on things that are completely out of your control. So, yeah, very important. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. Speaking of striving towards things, what is in your life at the moment? So you're back competing and riding and what sort of goals have you got coming up? 
So more so this year from my equestrian riding goals is just to have my mare consolidating around sort of the 80 to 95 eventing. That would be great to see her just fill with confidence and and just be consolidated at that level. She's very talented in my opinion. <laughs> we always think that about our own horses, but very quirky along the way. And and it's been a very fun few years and just trying to build that that relationship and, and continue to build our connection. And I ideally would love to to get back to around the two star, three star level. That for me would make me so content and and enjoy it and and but that's that's a very long term broad goal for for my my riding and yeah. and dressage wise I'd love to be able to to get to advance pre St George to the level with with some of the the dressage that we would be training for but that's again long term really long term yeah. and they're sort of the things that help keep you striving towards making the and you go okay so I'm going to manifest from that that's going to be my long term goal and and looking at, at aiming towards that for riding and then and what do you need to do to, now to yeah. get there in the future, yeah. whether it's, you know, keeping That's yourself it. fitter and stronger and mentally strong and, yeah. Creating the, those smaller goals and those smaller habits every day to then continue to strive towards that bigger goal in the grand scheme of things. And whether you get there or not, that doesn't matter because you've still put in these little building blocks along the way and it doesn't matter then if your big goal can change slightly or shift or the, the goalposts move, you're still adapting that same habitual process and, and being able to to promote that and then hopefully involve others around you into that process as well so that they're getting benefit out of that for their life and, and yeah. just continue to support people. And yeah. Um, and then then for the business, it's sort of just continuing to build it. And so I, I service a lot of Southeast Queensland. Currently I've got a few people this year getting me down into New South Wales, so Lismore, Tamworth and Inverell, that sort of area, and, and building on from there. I'd love to... To continue to help people all around Australia. I was just about to say, I was like, oh, I'd love to get you down in New South Wales, like down in Sydney. So if anyone's listening and you're down in Sydney and you think that it would be a good idea, reach out to me, message me. And if there's enough interest, we'll try to make it happen. Definitely, definitely. I'd be keen. So definitely traveling around a little bit more and trying to, as I said, just help educate people on how to use their body. And uh, yes, ride better is also a great goal, but being able to ride more effectively and more efficiently and communicate with their horse a bit better. And then also a big thing is, is to improve their safety, improve their reaction time. And that's something we haven't spoken about is how rider-specific fitness and, and can help with balance and stability and our reaction time in order to help us stay safer in the saddle. And yeah. um, so that's a big thing, especially for eventing. Yeah. Um, but any oh, yeah. sports, there's, there's a risk in anything that yeah. we do, uh, even just getting into the paddock and having that awareness of the horse around us. There's, yeah. there's danger and, and risk into that. So trying to promote that. And even just working, I loved, my big goal would be like and I uh, probably haven't really put this out to anyone, so good on me putting it out to a podcast. But yeah, do being it. able to work with like the Australian team and and help with strength conditioning specifically for our um, Equestrian Australia athletes and and working along with the the elite different athletes, squads, yeah, but different squads and things and and ranging from that elite level, but still all the way down and and helping anyone and not having any elite level that's necessary to see me, but actually being able to promote 
anything to anyone that's willing to listen and hear me out with my rambling that I tend to do. I tend to get off on tangents and things. We love tangents around here, so that's fine. <laughs> that's but good. <laughs> no, honestly, I think that everybody will get so much out of this. And I hope as well, I hope we can organize it because that would be fantastic. So I, I will, we will start to wrap it up though. But before we do, we always have our Q&A at the end. So yeah. I will get straight into that. And if you wouldn't mind, um, running through a few. Are you ready to go? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So what's your favorite and least favorite thing about life with horses? My least favorite thing is them, the unfortunate thing of them leaving us. I think that's yeah. the most heartbreaking thing. That's definitely up there with my least favorite thing with <laughs> horses. Uh, my favorite thing is just the fact that they give you a purpose to get up every day. They give you a reason to have to wake up, put one foot in front of the other and go out, even if it's just to to feed them or to top up their waters. They give you that that reason to get out of bed. And yeah. whether that be for, for anybody, it gives you that purpose in life. So I think that's a big thing that I love about them. There's so much yeah. to love about them. And I was going to say, like, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know that you're so busy and you have so much to juggle, but do you have a favorite hobby that's outside of horses? I, I do love to cook. So Kevin and I are very food-orientated people and I love to cook when I have time. But or we like to go out to dinner. That's another one of our favorites is going out for a little dinner somewhere or things like that. And I'm also, again, typical Aussie, uh, a bit of a cricket track tragic. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I know. I I actually played cricket in high school, and we we formed this team in our senior years. That was just like I'll say it. We were just a bunch of misfits. None of us really were on any of the other sports teams. We all just sort of congregated together and created our like senior girls cricket team in school. And we we did that for two years, and that was just some of the best fun we had with school sports and and from then on I've just sort of been a bit of a cricket tragic so like dad and I will go and it was pretty much from year year 10 in high school we'd go to the first day of the test match whenever we'd be up here and that's sort of been this tradition from then on and um, oh that's nice because obviously you've got the horses with your mum and then you've got cricket with you that's awesome yeah that's awesome all right and what is one thing you can't live without not that I have favorites but I would not be able to do my life without my mum. Yeah. Oh, no, that's awesome. And what yeah. is your favourite riding memory or achievement? I, I've got a couple, but specifically it was the whole event. It wasn't just the actual, like, the result. Or, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, so the friends of ours and I and mum, we all drove down to Corindai in New South Wales in the middle of winter for their three-day event. And I, I took Bruce down to go into the one star. I think it was pretty novice back then. And we just road tripped all the way down. It was great fun. And Katie had Sammy. So that was when she was riding Sammy. And then I ended up leasing him a few years yeah. later. So it was just a good experience. Bruce and Sam and Katie and Kev, her partner, and mum and uh, myself. And we all drove down. We just had a great road trip down. Great event. I finished on my dressage score, um, oh, which is always an achievement yes. at a three-day event. Yes. <laughs> I think, I, and I finished about fourth, I think, from memory. And Katie had a really good event on Sammy, and she was in the two star, and she either finished on a dress dress score or just around that, and she finished third. And it was freezing. It was it was the most awful thing. Four Queenslanders down in middle of Crindai in the middle of winter. It was awfully cold. I think one night it got down to minus ten Celsius, and there was like the morning of cross country. There was like a nice layer of 
sleet and ice everywhere and all those Lovely. things that us, yeah. we, us crazy Queenslanders, we just don't understand. And we had the best time though. Like even though it was freezing cold and it was a great event for both it. of us, it, we just loved it. And it was like the event as a whole and going away camping with friends and family and yeah, enjoying your ponies and just memories that were made. So that was probably definitely one of my my favorite moments <laughs> yeah no that's awesome so if you could go back I, I okay I love this question I just I always find it really insightful into a person so if you could go back and give your younger self a piece of advice what would that be uh I think that while it's time you might not see it things do happen for a reason yeah. and just accept it and continue to learn from every opportunity and realize what that opportunity might have given you, whether it be good or bad, and take every experience on board and use that as improving your knowledge for the future. Great answer. Okay, awesome. And if I could ask anyone that you know to come on as a guest next, who would that be? That's a great question. I So one of my sponsored writers, her name's Kira Nichols. She is 12. And she's a little budding show jumper. And I don't think I've ever seen someone so motivated. She also has cystic fibrosis and she is just so motivating and inspiring and a beautiful girl and has maturity well beyond her years and is so just supportive of everyone around her and no matter her reasoning. And she just wants to help others and help herself and help her horses and love love her family and things like that. And she's she's 12, but I think she would absolutely kill it and she would just be a great guest on she's, the show. She sounds amazing. To teach us all a lot of lessons. Yeah. <laughs> she teaches me lessons every week. Every week I see her, she teaches me something new and I love it. It's so great. Yeah, wow. Okay, and where online can we find you? Uh, so I have my Facebook and my Instagram, The Eventing Physiologist. Uh, yes. I've also got my website, www.eventingphysiologist.com. You yep. can find me on there. So beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Now, are there any sponsors or people you sort of work with that you would like to mention? Uh, no sponsors per se, but I've got a lot of people that support me around me. So definitely mum and dad are the most amazing support network I can have. My fiance, Kevin, is just an absolute delight and he'd probably cringe me saying that <laughs> but he is he's so supportive and he's my number one fan and he's not horsey at all but he'll be the one that's on my Facebook and he'll be sharing all my posts to all of his friends he probably annoys the heck out of them they're like why do we want to see all your horsey stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so that's yeah so they're very supportive got some really good close friends that are super supportive and also a shout out to, to Emily and Josh from Elson because they they let me work alongside them with the um the simulator but unfortunately because of this this weekend with all the rain their area in Beechmere has completely flooded and their business has completely gone under and they've they've unfortunately lost everything so I think a big big shout out to them and I can't wait till we can get out to try to see where, what we can do and how we can help. So a big shout out to Josh and Emily oh, as well. That's horrible. I hope that they come out the other side because what they do is obviously amazing. And all right, well, we're wrapping it up. Are there any last words that you want to mention or any topics that we haven't covered yet that are near and dear to you? Uh, I just think that if even if you, you think you're too far gone, it's never too late to start. So you can you can always have something to do and 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 something can be adapted to you personally so you might not be able to stand and single leg balance but you need to be able to work your balance in some way there's always some something that we can try to tweak and 
and help address to you within your capabilities and within your conditions and and be specific to you. So it's it's never too late to start. So trying to make sure that you you don't give up and that you continue to strive for something. And as I said before, progress over perfection. Well, Tash, honestly, I am so inspired. And I, I just think that you are so passionate about what you do. And I hope everybody does go and give you a follow and follow your journey and your writer's journeys and go after their own dreams and use what you've said today to actually help them on their journey. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening in to another episode of the Approachable Equestrian Podcast. If you loved anything that you heard today, remember to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Also, if you could take a couple of seconds just to leave a rating and review, it would absolutely mean the world to me. And also, it'll help others like you find the podcast and hopefully help them on their journey. Until next time, have the best day and I'll see you all again soon.